I know we've had this discussion before, but do you believe in heaven? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> I don't know what I believe in. It's <laughs> put, a you, nice... put you on the spot there. <laughs> <laughs> it's a nice thought. Yeah, it's kind of tough with the, we were talking about reincarnation and it's like, okay, well, if you're reincarnated, then what's the deal with heaven? Yeah. Or do you get a choice? You can stay up there or come back, but why would you want to come back if heaven is so great? Yeah, I, I have no idea. Well, it's like, if you believe in heaven, do you believe in hell? Yeah, I think you have to. Well, maybe maybe not. Maybe you just say, yeah, everybody goes to heaven, but that's kind of disturbing too. Yeah. There's some people that shouldn't be going to heaven. <laughs> yeah. Okay, this is really morbid, but whenever I've thought about dying... And where I would go, it's always just darkness. Yeah, Maybe that's that. like my sign that I'm going to hell. <laughs> no, no. A lot of people have that belief. I mean, atheists, right? Yeah. You know, it's just, it's over, it's done. That's a scary thought. That could be a whole discussion. Yeah. But maybe we'll save that for later because I have some thoughts on that as well. Oh, no. <laughs> What I wanted to bring up or what I was thinking about was people who talk about their pets going to heaven. Yeah. And I was thinking about how many pets we've had over the years and how full the house is going to be yeah. up in heaven. Yeah. I always is, used to say that they were with our loved ones up there. So they're taking care of our pets until we get up there. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Well, if the pets are in heaven, do they really need to be taken care of? Good question. I guess I just, you know, you think about it in terms of, you know, what you have now, you know, how things are now. So yeah. I, if I think of heaven, I think I'm going up there and everything's kind of the same, but it's just all great and nothing changes and everybody's healthy and all your pets are there. You go up and you say, mom, why do we have two fluffies? <laughs> <laughs> two fluffies? Yeah, because your parents... Swapped out your cat <laughs> without telling you when you're a little girl. Yeah. <laughs> Do you have something you need to confess? <laughs> no. We won't, we won't get into that. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> I don't think we could have ever replaced your cat. Yeah, no. <laughs> <laughs> but I imagine a lot of people have done that. Yeah. So would you go up there and all of a sudden you have a bunch of... How many, how many times are you replacing Fluffy? <laughs> yeah, you go up there and there's like five <laughs> cats that look pretty similar. I guess I wouldn't complain. Like if there's multiples, if they're all good cats. Yeah, yeah, it's true. I'd be a little <laughs> offended and have a hard time trusting. <laughs> okay, well, weird discussion. <laughs> it's just the things I think about. Yeah, I mean, the thought of it is a nice thought. I understand why people find comfort in it. It's just, I'm, I don't know. I don't know what I believe. Yeah, and like you said, maybe it's just a matter of they go up to heaven and they're in heaven and you go and you do your thing. Yeah. It's kind of like people who remarry. Who do they end up with? 
in heaven. <laughs> or, you know, remarried because their spouse passed away or something oh. like that. So their love of their life passed away and then they remarried. Yeah. And then they go up to heaven. That'd be awkward. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but I'm sure that the person would be understanding about it. No? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. It just seems like a weird situation. No, it would be awkward. But, but like you said, if everybody just goes and does their own thing. But that'd be lonely. Well, I don't know. Maybe just kind of you know, hang like out, do whatever. One big like lounge room where everyone's just chilling. Yeah. <laughs> Can people make friends, like new friends in heaven? I would hope so. Be sad to think that for us... <laughs> <laughs> That don't have any right now. My only hope <laughs> is that I can make some friends in heaven. <laughs> oh my gosh. That's kind of a weird thought too. It's like you meet someone in heaven. Yeah, that you've never met before. Yeah. Well, meet God, right? Or do you not get to meet the big guy? I feel like it's like Santa Claus. He sends out people <laughs> that looks like <laughs> for you to meet. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> like mall Santa's. Okay. You know, because real Santa can't <laughs> can't visit everyone. All right, so let's not piss off God here. Well, he's a busy guy. <laughs> yeah. How big is heaven, too? Because it has to be crowded. <laughs> it has to be. That's true. If all the people. Yeah. Is there like all a, the people that have ever been. Are you only allowed like a certain amount of time up there and then you move on? Well, that's the whole thing about, yeah, do you... Do you get a choice? Do you get to stay there? Or do you get it? You know, you can be, we were talking about the reincarnation where the one boy said he was given a ticket and then he came down. Yeah. The uh, slippy slide to his. Slippy slide. <laughs> <laughs> I would come back if there was a slippy slide oh, to yeah. come back down. <laughs> Just one time. I think he got tricked. Hey, do you want to <laughs> try out this slide? And oh crap, I'm back here again. It's like a trap door <laughs> yeah. that they like open. <laughs> Maybe it's like one of those things, people who are there the longest get a choice to come back. Or you have to learn something. That's a whole karma thing, right? Say, well, you have to go back and learn your lessons. Damn, that would suck. It's like you cheated on a school test and you have to come back. And learn not to cheat. Yeah. Oh, that'd be rough. Oh, man, I would hate to think that cheating on a test would make me (laughs) get kicked out of heaven. That's another question. Have you ever cheated on a test? I don't think so, but I'm sure there's plenty of other things that I've done that are similar. Anyway, we're totally going off on a tangent here. (laughs) Well, let's just hope it's not something really small that makes us come back. Yes. (laughs) All right, so we got nowhere with that. We don't know if animals actually go to heaven and whether they live with you. And do you get a bigger house or? (laughs) You get upgrades. (laughs) Yeah. All right, so we got way off. <laughs> Are we going to talk about anything or we're just going to ramble on? We could keep rambling on, but <laughs> I feel like we're just going to start talking about weird stuff. <laughs> yeah. Maybe that's not too bad. No. What do you have tonight? Well, since we rambled on so long, my computer turned off. So okay. <laughs> in. So my case is about the girl in the box. I've never heard this. I've seen it on documentaries before, but other than that, I haven't really heard much about it, which is surprising because it's a very baffling case. And a warning beforehand, it is sensitive, sensitive topics. 
So again, that's something that affects you and maybe don't listen or know your limits. Sensitive in what manner? There is some mention of sexual assault in this. Ah, okay. And abuse, so. Okay. No no details, obviously. Right. But uh, just to make sure. 20-year-old Colleen Stan hitchhiked out of her Eugene, Oregon hometown on May 19, 1977. She was careful about whom she accepted a ride from. She turned down a lift from a group of young men, understanding the small but serious risk to what she was doing. A couple, Cameron and Janice Hooker, seemed harmless to her since they were a couple with a baby. After pulling onto a side road to sightsee, Cameron held Colleen at knife point and brought her back to the couple's home in Red Bluff, California. He stripped her naked, hung her by her arms from the basement beams, and whipped her repeatedly before having sex with his wife in Colleen's blindfolded presence. Going back to her hitchhiking, so bizarre that the decisions that are made, how they impact somebody. Yeah. As far as sometimes you make a decision and it saves your life. And then she made a decision that if she would have went with those guys, this may never have happened. Yeah. It's so bizarre because I had just read something where someone was saying that the butterfly effect being so weird that you can make one decision to do something. And if you had made a different decision, how completely different your life may be. And it's weird to think about that because you never know what the right decision is. I really thought about the butterfly effect in, in terms of your general life. That's interesting. Yeah. Because just scary to think that once you've made a decision, is that basically saying that you're down that path and you can't change that? Or can you make another decision to alter that again? Yeah, I don't know. It, it is scary to think. Well, it's like you hear stories, for an example of people who who weren't going to go somewhere and then they decided to just go anyways and then they end up meeting the love of their life there. As if they hadn't gone, they would have never met that person. Yeah. I guess it's interesting thinking about glass half full, glass half empty. Yeah. Because I've, I've thought too about, you know, if you're making a big decision to move somewhere, what if something happened, something bad happened after yeah. you moved? And you would think... If I had never moved here, yeah, would this, you know, this would never happened. Yeah. But you could just as well move and then, like you said, meet the love of your life. So, yeah, bizarre. It's... Wow, another tangent. Sorry, didn't mean to interrupt your story. I just, just was thinking about, my God, if she would have made a different decision. Yeah. Okay, yeah, sorry. It's, it's scary to think. Yeah. Cameron presented her with a master-slave contract, which he forced her to sign. For seven years, Colleen was held captive, locked in a small coffin-like wooden box the hookers kept under their bed. Occasionally, she would be let out, but only to be assaulted, whipped, or forced to do chores. So she spent most of her days locked in that box. That's horrible. Another scary thing to think about, sorry to keep going on these tangents, but how many times does this happen that we never hear about it? Or how how much of this is going on right now that we don't know about yet? Well, it's like I always think about whenever I'm passing someone in like the store or something, because I watch and listen to a lot of crime show stuff. Yeah. 
I always think, do they have someone trapped in their basement right now? Like, if they didn't make it home, then no one would be able to find that person. Like, I know that's, right. like, a really morbid thought, but it's scary. And, like you said, you never know how many of that is happening now. And yeah. it's not discovered yet. Yeah, so bizarre. Maybe it's just stay inside. But then you'll never meet the love of your life. I'm okay with that. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. Go ahead. Cameron Hooker told her that any attempts to escape would be met with violent repercussions for both her and her family. He claimed that there was an organized crime group called The Company that was watching her and would punish her and her family if she attempted to escape. Surprisingly, in March of 1981, Colleen was allowed to visit her family by herself for 24 hours. In May 1984, she was allowed to start working as a maid at a hotel. Colleen was also given opportunities to go jogging unsupervised, but she never attempted to run away in fear of the company. It's amazing how people can be manipulated psychologically. Yeah. It's scary. Well, with the threat of your family and stuff. Yeah, but just to think that she visited her family, she's out working, yet she's so afraid that she she won't try to escape. Yeah. Just so bizarre. So scary. Yeah, it's really scary how yeah. that can affect you and stuff. I really have no words for it because it's just scary that something like that can happen. Yeah, it's just, just sad. Just sad, scary, and bizarre. Yeah. Michelle Gallietta, I'm not 100% sure if I pronounced that right, but hopefully I did, a professor of psychology at John Jay College of Criminal Justice who has done research on violent offenders, psychopathy, and trauma, stated that Colleen's belief in the company makes sense when taken in the larger context of her kidnapping. Quote, it sounds a little unbelievable, but ask yourself, is not the fact that she's kept in a box under the bed completely wildly unbelievable? End quote. Galileo asks, if everything you ever thought in terms of predictability and safety is taken away, what is left of the psyche? This is not a one-time assault or one-time attack. This was pervasive for years. Yeah, I want to be clear when I was talking about this earlier that I'm not questioning why would somebody... Or how could somebody fall for this, fall for this bad term? But, you know, how could she not talk to her parents when she got there? How could she not get away or whatever? Yeah. I totally understand the fact that people can be brainwashed, if you will, to do what their captor is telling them to do. Yeah. I'm just saying that it's just scary and bizarre how the mind works that allows you to fall into those type of traps. Yeah. No, I, I... I understand what you meant, because that is a scary thought. Yeah. Anyway. Janice's role in the story of Colleen Stan's imprisonment is complicated. After marrying Cameron Hooker in 1975, Janice agreed to allow him to have a slave whom he could torture under the condition that he only has sex with her. For years, Janice saw Colleen as a rival. Things turned when in 1984, Cameron announced a plan to get another slave. In August of that year, Janice went to a pastor and told him everything. When the pastor advised that Janice leave the marriage, she went to the motel where Colleen was working and told her the truth about there being no company, and that she could leave without anything bad happening. Gallietta describes Janice as a collaborator, but she stopped short of calling Janice Hooker a psychopath in her own right, saying, quote, These are not psychological questions, they are moral questions. 
You don't get the impression from any data that she has a lot of psychopathic traits. More that she was so locked in that she ceased to have independent thoughts. End quote. Still armed with the information Janice provided her, Colleen left, but not before calling Cameron from a bus station payphone, where she told him she was leaving. He cried in later court testimony describing the conversation as a hard goodbye from a woman he loved. What? Yeah. That's bizarre. It's scary that that's what he considers love. That that's what anyone would consider love. Yeah. Mark Olver, a professor of psychology who specializes in sexual deviance and psychopathy, says it's hard but not impossible to imagine that someone as psychopathic as Cameron Hooker might mourn the loss of a victim or relationship the same way that well-adjusted people mourn the termination of their romantic relationships. Yeah, I'd never thought about that as far as how the captor reacts. I just always thought that they were unfeeling yeah. psychopaths. I guess it's not so surprising considering that she was held captive for seven years. Yeah, bizarre. Olver stated, quote, people who are so psychopathic are so self-serving, but it's possible he could have had an attachment to her. As sadistic and one-sided and brutal and terrorizing that the relationship was, but I don't know if it's an attachment or the loss of the human sex object, end quote. He's not mourning the person, he's mourning what the person represented to him. Yes, that's what they were questioning. Okay. That it's not really as much of an attachment to her. Her. But yeah, like you said, what she represented. Yeah. So it's mourning an object that he cherishes, not the person. Yeah. Okay. Janice called the police to report Cameron's crimes about three months later. Although she had second thoughts and helped him destroy some of the evidence that would have helped convict him, she ultimately worked as a cooperating witness against Cameron in exchange for immunity. Between Janice's testimony, Colleen's testimony, and evidence collected at the scene, notably a copy of the master-slave contract, Cameron Hooker was convicted of kidnapping, using a knife in an abduction, assault, and sexual abuse on October 31st, 1985. He was sentenced to 104 years in prison on November 22nd with Judge Clarence Knight remarking at the time that Hooker is, quote, the most dangerous psychopath I have ever dealt with, and will be a danger to women as long as he is alive, end quote. Had he done this with other women, or was this his first? To my understanding, this was his first. He wanted more women to do right, this. Right, right, yeah. yeah. I just didn't know if he had actually done that. But yeah, to my understanding, this was his first. Totally agree with the sentence, but I think back at previous stories where people who have done worse have gotten less time. yeah. That's a whole nother tangent. I guess we won't go down right now, but. Yeah, I, that's a whole yeah. thing I can talk about. <laughs> yeah. Hooker is currently serving his sentence at the California Substance Abuse Treatment Facility and State Prison. In 2014, he was denied parole for 15 more years. However, because COVID-19 has inspired new releases from prison, there's a chance Hooker could come up for parole again in 2021 something that the local sheriff's association opposes. Olver says sex offenders who are hooker's age don't tend to reoffend nearly as much as those who are younger, partly due to diminished physical strength. I can see the argument that 
you know, when you're getting into your 60s and 70s that you're less likely to commit a crime. Yeah. But that doesn't take away from the fact that they shouldn't be allowed to go back into normal society. Yeah, and I feel like releasing him, especially before his sentence time, is just a disgrace to the victim. Right. So he's going to go out and be able to be free. Yeah. Rather than serving the sentence that he was given. Yeah. That's bullshit. Regarding Hooker's underlying psychopathy, Gallietta says extreme cases like his rarely disappear with time. It's one thing to rehabilitate a one-time violent robber. It's another to make a sadist like him better. Given the lack of remorse necessary to engage in his behavior and the kind of pathology that creates the appetite for it, we certainly do not have any good track record in the world of psychology to modify that. Basically, he's saying this is one of those type of offenders who cannot be rehabilitated. Yes. Okay. Because there's no evidence psychologically that offenders like that can be rehabilitated. But that is it. I don't have any updates on any parole hearing recently. I'd be interested to hear. Hopefully, he remains in prison. I hope so. I'm glad that she was able to escape and go back home. I think that's the bright side of the story, but yeah, this whole thing, I can't even imagine. Can't imagine how you even ever recover from something like that. Yeah. Lost seven years of your life, and then just psychologically. And I can't even imagine how the family felt too, because there was no concern really raised when she visited them, but then finding out later that she was held captive the whole time. Yeah, that would be devastating. Yeah, and not even knowing. Yeah. Find out somebody had visited, and you could have saved them at that point. Yeah. But you had no idea. Yeah. Overall sad, but I hope he stays in jail for the rest of his life. Yeah, agreed. He doesn't deserve to see daylight. But that's it. Another messed up story. Yes. You seem to have a lot of those. Well, with true crime, it's kind of hard not to. Yeah, agreed. And that was nervous laughter, wasn't it? No, I understand. (laughs) What do you have tonight? Hopefully not as depressing. Hope not. So I am going back to Haunted Forests. Again, still surprised that there's that many. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) Yeah, I originally was planning on spreading these stories out a bit, but I just happened to run across the story about the Brown Mountain Lights. I remember hearing about this story a long time ago, but completely forgot about it. Yeah. So I figured I should talk about it before I forget about it again. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) So first, let me describe, set the scene, if you will. Okay. Describe the area. Brown Mountain is located in western North Carolina and is in the Pisgah National Forest. Not 100% on the pronunciation because I heard people saying it differently as far as Pisgah. Hmm. So I'll go with that. Okay. So that forest is part of the Appalachian mountain range and is east of the Great Smoky Mountains. I know you're familiar with that area, so. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, total side note. Last week you brought up about whether any of the haunted forests had to do with Bigfoot. Yeah. Right. I did see him mentioned once in some of the many theories for this story, but nothing really credible. 
Poor Bigfoot gets blamed for everything. That's what I was going to say. They just want <laughs> someone to blame. <laughs> but the reason I bring it up, I figured as long as you're in the area to check out the Brown Mountain Lights, not too far from there, in downtown Marion, North Carolina, you can go to the third annual Bigfoot Festival. Third annual? Yes, it's the third annual, and it's being held on September 17 and 18 this year. So just in case you wanted to go. Aww. Anyway, let me continue to paint my picture. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) Along Brown Mountain is the Linville Gorge. Around that area, around the mountains in the gorge, there's a number of scenic lookouts that you can pull over and just enjoy the view. So at the lookouts, you're looking over some very dense forest that covers the hills of the mountain and the gorge below. Extremely rough terrain, even for experienced climbers. Yeah. My understanding. Haven't been there. I believe there are some paths around, you know, but for the most part, it's not somewhere where people can just go wandering around. Yeah. Or it would be like just normal hiking or whatever. I'm not too sure about how big the area is, but I believe the gorge is like four or five miles long. So when you're looking over this, it's a huge area. Yeah. Within the area around Brown Mountain and the gorge, there have been sporadic reports of ghost lights. From what I understand, the lights don't appear very often. So they aren't something that you can just go and like expect to see. Yeah. If you go visit or go, go to the lookout and expect to see it on any, any given night. So you can't just plan a trip to see them. Right. Okay. Right. For example, Charles Broswell Jr., who is a professional photographer and author of the book, Are Those the Brown Mountain Lights, captured one of the most famous pictures of the lights. He first started searching for the lights in 1999, and he said it was about his 35th trip out there that he first saw them. So that's how difficult it is. That's dedication. Yeah. There's a lot of discussion about how much time he was out there waiting with his camera to try to capture these lights. That's so crazy. I mean, kudos to him for taking that time. Yeah, but that's just an example of, you know, it's just, it's random and it's really hard to see them. You can't, it's hard to plan to see them. Yeah. Reports describe the lights in many different ways. Colors reported have been white, red, yellow, orange, blue. The lights have been described as looking like large balls of fire and also like small candlelights. Oh. They have been reported as floating near the ground, moving amongst the trees, and also hovering over the trees and even rising high into the sky. And in the case of Charles Broswell's photo, the light was actually above the mountains in the sky. Oh, wow. The motion of the lights has also been reported as slow moving or appearing as like fireworks. So very fast sparks and stuff. I'm going to jump around here a little bit because talking about the variations in the reported sightings, I think it's important to consider a point brought up by one of the people who had investigated them. Daniel Caton, a professor of physics and astronomy at Appalachian State University, who himself was originally skeptical, pointed out that a lot of things can be confused when you are looking across the gorge. Yeah. So if you're looking at things far away, it's real easy to misinterpret what you're seeing. Yeah. For instance, there are some trails up there, like I mentioned, and ATV lights. So people can, you know, there are some areas where ATVs can go. Yeah. And you can see those lights from across the gorge. 
So just one example of something that could be misinterpreted as the lights. That makes sense. Yeah. But he said that he believes that only about 5 to 10% of the reported sightings are real. Wow. So just bringing that up as far as all of these different variations of what the lights are, that there could be a lot of false reporting in there. Yeah. Could you imagine thinking that you've seen the lights, the rare lights, and they're just ATV lights? Yeah. <laughs> that would well, suck. Well, but if you don't know, right? So I wouldn't try to discount anybody's story. No. Right? It's just like, you know, believe what you want to believe. Yeah. But I feel like if I've, if I've seen the lights or believe that I've seen the lights and then I hear that only 5 to 10% are actually real sightings. Yeah. Sorry to burst your bubble. Yeah. I would be more likely to think that I actually didn't see them. I would think that I would be skeptical even that I... If I saw them, I wouldn't be like, oh, yeah, I saw the brown mountain lights. I, yeah. would think, I think I saw them, well, but I don't know. What if they were high in the sky, not even like in the mountains or close to the ground? Yeah, I guess it depends on what it is you're seeing. Yeah. Right. Like if the lights are zipping back and forth or moving erratically, yeah. you could discount that it might be somebody with a lantern or an ATV or something, right? Yeah. Somebody with a lantern? Why not? <laughs> well, okay, so let me explain how far back this goes. Okay. Uh, okay, if you're, talk you're, you're asking me, why are you talking about lanterns yeah. <laughs> <laughs> in, in this day and age? Let me, let me explain that. So some of the earliest reports of the lights are from the Cherokee and Catawba Indians, Civil War soldiers, and settlers in the area. So this is going back some 800 years. Yeah, that's crazy. Yeah. The earliest known news report, at least that I could find, was an article in the Charlotte Observer in September of 1913, September 23rd, I believe. The article mentioned members of the Morganton Fishing Club seeing the lights. There is a Cherokee legend that around 1200 AD, a great battle was fought between the Cherokee and Catawba Indians at Brown Mountain. The aftermath was so tragic that the lights are said to be the spirits of the Indian maidens with their torches still searching the mountainside looking for any signs of life. Oh, Yeah, that's, that's sad. so sad. In 1771, a German surveyor, G.W. de Brahm, said the lights were inflamed nitrous vapors. But he did not provide any evidence and his claims were quickly disputed. That makes sense. Yeah. The lights have been officially investigated three times, once by the U.S. Weather Service and twice by the U.S. Geological Survey. What are you grinning about? <laughs> <laughs> Ever since you mentioned Bigfoot and there being theories to the story about Bigfoot, yeah, I just imagine people saying that Bigfoot was like holding flashlights <laughs> and the light shining. I don't know why that came to mind. Just uh. Is he just holding flashlights to get people's attention? Or is he running around the forest, his normal, just every day, using a <laughs> flashlight to see his way around? Both, maybe. <laughs> maybe he's, like, tricking people. He's going out to the outhouse or something? Yeah, <laughs> outhouse. <laughs> oh, my gosh. He really gets around. Or is he running around, like, the airplane lights? These, oh, yeah. <laughs> I don't know what they call the guys that signal the planes with the lights at the airport. Yeah, I know what you're talking <laughs> about. I don't know the name. He'd probably be good with that job. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Poor Bigfoot. No. 
Where was I? Uh, crap. Um... A 1913 geological survey blamed the lights on headlights from locomotives. But during the Great Flood of 1916 in that area, trains stopped running when tracks were washed out. Yet the lights continued. Uh. A 1922 geological survey offered 11 proposed explanations. So they didn't know. They were just throwing shit out there. <laughs> Some of their possible explanations were Will-o'-the-Wisp, which is a flame-like phosphores- phosphorescence. <laughs> Shit. Are you trying to say phosphorus? Phosphorescence. Phosphorescence? Yeah. Which is a flame-like phosphorescence caused by gases from decaying plants in marshy areas. Never heard of that. Me neither. I never heard of these other ones either. Foxfire? A Firefox? Bio- <laughs> no, not Firefox. Foxfire. A bioluminescence created by some types of fungi present in decaying wood. Moon dogs. <laughs> it's a thing. It's reflections of lights around the moon's halo. Moon dogs? Moon dogs. Or mock moon is what it's also called. That makes more sense. Yeah, because they're reflections in the halo that make it look like a small version of the moon, I guess. Yeah. I don't know. You know, where's Bill Nye when you need him? (laughs) Bill Nye. (laughs) (laughs) He could explain this. (laughs) I would just make it boring. And also St. Elmo's fire, which from what I understand is a blue glow that sometimes occurs at the end of pointed objects during a thunderstorm. Hmm. They're all weird names. Yes. Other explanations have been cars, stationary lights, brush fires, fires from stills of moonshiners. Going back to the lanterns <laughs> and the fires of the moonshiners. Oh, my gosh. I don't think that's the case these days. I don't think so either. <laughs> and in the early 1900s, the suggestion of aliens. That makes sense. Although I didn't read a lot about that theory. That's interesting. Yeah. You think that would be... One of the big ones. Then yeah. it might be in certain circles. I just didn't read a lot about it. Yeah. They did hold a symposium back in February of 2012 to discuss the lights. Burke County Tourism Director Ed Phillips brought in two notable experts, Joshua Warren, a paranormal investigator, and Daniel Caton, the Appalachian State University professor I was just talking about. Warren first saw the lights when he was 12 or 13, and in his 20 years of investigation at the time of the symposium, I believe, he reported seeing the lights only six times. So again, how difficult it is to see the lights. Only six times. Yeah. Well, in 20 years, though. I guess that makes sense. Yeah. If you're investigating, I'm not sure how much time he was spending on it. but They spent the afternoon discussing the lights, but didn't really come up with anything new. But they both agreed that there is no question of the existence of the lights. Yeah. It's just a question of what they are. It's crazy after all these years, we still don't know. Yeah, that's interesting. I'll bring that up in a second here. But Okay. I did read that they both believe that it is possibly ball lightning. Another explanation I'll leave to Bill Nye. <laughs> but just imagine lightning in the shape of a ball and you're halfway there. That's <laughs> all I can tell you about it. So going back to what you were just saying about figuring out what they are. Yeah. My thoughts are there are a lot of people trying to do just that to figure out what the lights are. And maybe there is a scientific explanation. Maybe not. 
But for me, this is one of those mysteries I hope that they never figure out. Yeah. Because I was thinking how long this has been going on, been passed down from generation to generation. Yeah. It seems like it has to be part of the culture of the area. So why not just leave it alone? Because it, it just seems like it would ruin the experience, the experiences that have been passed down through the generations. Yeah. Maybe not. I don't know. I'm just That was just my thought. I mean, I understand, you know, hating not knowing what things are, like what it is. Right. But I agree. I feel like it would kind of ruin the experience. It's kind of like, you know, when you find out how to do a magic trick, it right. ruins yeah. the trick for you. Yeah, so I was thinking that, you know, this has been part of their lives and it's been this mystery. And then all of a sudden you're going to give them an explanation and say, well, no, it's not. It's just this. There's nothing mysterious about it. But I understand wanting to know. Yeah. I totally agree with that. But I think Dan Caton was right when he said, and I won't put this in quotes because I don't know if this is the exact quote, but I believe it is. It won't matter what we find because the myth will outlive us. Yeah. So he's basically saying, even if we find the truth, people are still going to believe what they want to believe. Yeah. Last thing, I was watching a show about the lights, and I'm calling bullshit. Uh (laughs) (laughs) Uh-oh. To me, the paranormal reality shows, most of them, I won't put them all in this category, but most of them are for entertainment purposes only. Yeah. Because they over-dramatize stuff to keep people's attention. Yeah. First, in this particular show, they imply that they were investigating the lights over a couple of nights. And the lights just happened to appear. Hmm. Yeah. Suspicious, right? Yeah. Now, I understand a lot of shows will record stuff over multiple nights. Because you ever see the ghost shows where they go in for one night to investigate? Yeah. Right? Like, these ghostly appearances happen randomly over years. And then they go in and they're going to find something in this one night. Yeah. I know they'll record over multiple days and then just condense everything as if it was one night. But still, the bigger one, though, was they had a guy down in the gorge and the crew was up at one of the lookouts with the equipment. They let him go down there by himself? Well, he had at least a cameraman (laughs) because, you know, you're you're seeing him down there. So there had to have been someone behind the camera. And then there was another guy with him. Okay. The crew was up on the lookout, and then they had this equipment. So when they saw the lights, they could determine the location. Yeah. What they were going to do was when they determined the GPS coordinates of the lights, they were going to radio them down to him, and then he was going to try to get under them, which amazingly happened, right? Huh. To a point. But I told you about how difficult the terrain was and how big of an area it was. How would they even remotely think that he would be down in there even close to where the lights might show up. Yeah. And then to be able to navigate that terrain in the dark to get to them. You know, what are the odds? Yeah. I mean, really. There's something fishy about that. Yeah. And then they cut to the next day and he wants to go back up to that area. And he's talking about how it took him two plus hours to hike up there. So I don't know. Just, again, bullshit. Maybe shouldn't brought it up, but I just <laughs> no. like watching the show and it's like, this is just, I don't. Well, it like implies that he can easily sprint over there. Right. Anyway, that's my story. Very interesting. Yeah. I wonder, because you said the one guy saw it at least six times. Yeah. 
Because I was curious how many times, like if people actually see it more than once. But I guess if you're investigating, that makes sense. Yeah, I did see some things about, you know, some people that work up in the area, like work for the forest and stuff like that. Yeah. Well, not the forest. They work for the forest. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> they I were hired by the that. forest. <laughs> Bigfoot hired them. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but th there are people that have said that they have seen them multiple times. I don't think as many as these other people. Yeah. But then they were talking to some people that like, you know, hike in the area, cycle in the area, who said they have never seen anything. Hmm. So I imagine there's a lot of mix of... Yeah. And then, of course, like we talked about, there could be a lot of false sightings. But I won't discredit anybody's story. No. Anything else? Any other ramblings we can do tonight? <laughs> I don't know. I think we've done enough of that. Yeah. <laughs> Alrighty then. I guess we'll wrap it up. Thank you very much for joining us. Make sure to visit next week for more weird and creepy stories. Don't forget to follow us on Twitter and Instagram at 12 past 3 or email us at podcast at 12past3.com. Good night. Good night.